I had to change the way I think. I had to change uh, uh, my mindset was most of anything else, the way I think. I couldn't, I wasn't going to change my surroundings because, see, one thing about it, you can't, you're going to take you wherever you go. So I had to change me. So the blessing for me was that I got clean and sober where I got hired. That was the challenge that all the drug dealers, all the people I was associated with still around. So I didn't make a geographical change. The only geographical change when I moved from California back here. But I, when I got here, I was in the height of my addiction. So everybody around me was still selling drugs, doing everything else, you know. And so I started working a 12-step program. And uh, and and I got sold out to the program of recovery that, you know, first of all, God didn't make me for this. And my parents didn't deserve to see me like this. My kids didn't deserve to see a father that was on drugs and not being financially responsible or fiscally or, or, or spiritually there for them to watch them grow up because my kids was young during that time. So they really didn't know. They never seen me how drunk or none of that. Their mamas did, but they never saw, so they can't really say anything. Let's get let's get into it, McCray. Let's, let's get into it. Um, it's, it's an honor to sit with you, my brother. Um, your family, your legacy, everything that McCray brand has done in our community. Um, not even just our community, man. I think you guys impact Super Bowls. Yes. I mean, there's yes, so many things, man. It's an honor for me to sit with you, Mr. Derek McCray. You know, it's funny because it's, it's several brothers. And I just call everybody D to make it a lot easier for yeah. me. Matter of <laughs> fact, there's grand, there's sons I just call no, D just yes. to make it easier for me. That's right. There's no way I'm supposed to remember everybody's. Um, Demetrius, Derek, Deontay. 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 Demetrius. Demi yeah, yeah. Just, I'm, I'm done. I don't yeah. want to keep on going. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> it's an honor, brother, to, have a, to be able to sit down and have a conversation with you, man. So, let's get into it. What I would what I want to know first is because I know God, so so I'm sorry to be so long winded about this because I want to be able to get it right. Your parents' legacy. Mm -hmm. What was that from the beginning? Well, my my parents' legacy goes way back to Captain Jack Williams. Who's Captain Jack Williams? Captain Jack Williams was the steamboat captain for President Harding, which is my great-grandmother's father. Which my high school was President Warren Harding. Right. High school. That's crazy. It's crazy. That's crazy. That's so ironic yeah. that that's how we basically got here. Uh, on my father's side, on my, on, yeah, on my, on, actually on my father's side, mm -hmm. with his, with his, with his grandmother. Mm. And for his, the other side, came out of like McCray, Georgia. It was just, wow, the yeah, coincidence. Yeah. This is a coincidence. So but uh President uh, Harding commissioned uh Captain Williams 
to uh, bring uh, uh, Henry Flagler here because my great-great-grandfather was his personal steamboat captain, and he the only one knew how to navigate the lagoons in the wow. waters of South Florida because anywhere Harding had to go in a boat along the Atlantic coast, my great-grandfather was his captain and took him out and navigated him through South Carolina, the different places, the bayous and places like that. He the only one that could handle that. His other uh, uh, captains couldn't handle it because they were uh, always running ashore or running or something. But he was always managed to keep the boat centered mm-hmm. where it needs to be and navigate correctly. So he was their best. So you're talking about the your history your family's legacy, your history starts all the way from President Warren Harding, you know, telling your grandfather, however proper terms was to use on that, mm-hmm. your grandfather bringing Henry Flagler down yeah. to Florida, right, where right. you guys got down here. Mm-hmm. Um, like even even starting with that, like, and the, the reason I'm asking is because I because your family's history and legacy. Is so deep and rich in this community. I wanted to know, like, were your parents having this conversation with you from the beginning to instill that in you guys? Yeah, I, I, it was. It was kind of just always known, and it, it was just, just like, and not only that, my great grandfather was the first black sheriff officer, and we just always been a first at what we did. You know, my dad was a civil rights leader. It's just. It was just that. So it was just regular, 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 regular life every day. It was not, you know, I didn't feel any different or anything else. It's just what we did or where we came from. But I never felt better or less than anybody. I just felt this is who we were. And we were entrenched in this community. And we knew that we had to have standards and morals and values. And we had to uphold, you know, the family tradition. And that was just a part that was kind of bred into us as McCrae's. Now, you know, I've strayed away. I haven't always been perfect or none of that, but I've always had that instilled in me from from that time, you know. So you're talking about, so just living in your home where you guys grew up in, greatness was regular. Regular. It was regular. I was taught black history. I knew who Christmas Addicts was. I knew who Frederick Douglass was. I knew who George Washington Carver was. I knew who all the black greats was. I knew uh, who Nat Turner was. I knew who all these people were, you know, coming up. I wasn't, you know, uh, Thurgood Marshall. I was taught all this stuff as a kid. You know, I was taught about the black greats. I was taught about, you know, Harriet Tubman. You know, I was taught about, you know, other uh, great uh, uh, educators like Mary Bethune McLeod, you know, people like that was regular in my. It's a regular conversation in your house. Why do you why why do you think that was so regular to have conversation like this in your home? I think because my daddy and my father would say he was he wasn't a dad he was a father. He uh, he believed in black greatness. He believed that we were no less than anybody else that even though we was here in America and that we was dealing with, uh, the ending of Jim Crow, uh, segregation, you know, those things being changed in 1964 voters right act. And all those things is when he came on the scene as a young man fighting for civil rights, even here in Rivera beach, uh, when he even changed, helped change the face, he was the focal point 
of us having an all-black council now. And, you know, and that was just a part of who we were, that he felt that that uh, we need to understand our history and who we were as people, that we wasn't less than. And that's who Herman C. McCray Jr. was because he knew about my, my he knew my, my great-grandfather. He knew that my... Uh, well, my great great grandfather brought uh, Harding here. He knew about the sticks. He knew about his grandfather being the first black sheriff, and he knew about those things. And it was instilled in him to be who he was. And he so that legacy, us. that McCray legacy, was already passing down. Yes, from the beginning, just to to move in greatness. Yes. That was just what you guys did. It wasn't yeah. even we're trying to do. This was a lifestyle for you guys. This is a lifestyle. This is what we do. This is who we are. Excuse me. Mm. And this is what we did, you know, and uh so let me let me go even I want to start for you growing up. So born and raised in Revere Beach? Yes. So born and raised in Revere Beach. How was Revere Beach growing up? How was the household? Cuz the there's cuz there's multiple, you know, was or is still multiple brothers and sisters. Explain that to me. I don't well, know. actually, um I was I was I was born here and you know, and during that time it was still was segregated. I was I was born in at Lake Worth General Hospital. That's where all the black folks in West Palm Beach wanted to have the babies at that particular time. And um and we lived on Wait, that's when all the black folks want to have their babies. Yeah. Was there a reason? Yeah, because you couldn't go to St. Mary's. Oh shoot. Yeah, it was I super forgot. segregated. Yeah. I was born in nineteen sixty two. You know, you know so you couldn't go to St. Yeah. Mary's right around the corner no, from you guys. No, not there. You guys had to go to Lake Worth. Yeah, Lake Worth General is where I was born. You couldn't go right here to St. Mary's. So I was born at uh, Lake Worth General Hospital during that time. And uh, we lived on 6th and Douglas in West Palm Beach until I was three years old. My dad was 21 years old. And he bought his first house at 24. Him and my mom. You're the oldest? I'm the oldest. And uh, we moved to Rivera Beach in 1966. 65, 66, when we moved to Rivera Beach. And uh, and I've been here ever since. You know. And gr- growing up, so how many brothers and sisters? Two brothers. Two brothers. Two brothers. Demetrius. And Herman. Herman. Right. Any sisters? No sisters. So three boys. boys. Three boys. Bad boys. I Ooh. mean, we, we terrorizing. <laughs> I but, could only imagine. But mom didn't play the radio, boy. She, she, boy, that's the time when, you know, she. She, she got, didn't play with you guys. No. Uh-uh. So how was that balance of mom and dad in the house? How important is that and how was it for you? That was, I mean, I am who I am because of both of them having that that nucleus of having a father and a mother, you know, uh, I'm so grateful and thankful to God that my parents never drank, smoked, never ran the streets. I don't have any excuse for saying anything bad about my parents. I'm not that guy to be able to say that my dad was this. No, my dad was a father. He came home at night. He put his money in the household. He made sure that we ate. We had clothes. He was a disciplinarian. You know, he made sure we got good grades in school. You know, he uh, 
he was a provider. He was a leader. Uh, he was a, a spiritual leader also. And uh, he took care of my mom. He cherished my mom. He was a faithful man. You know, he wasn't running the streets with different women. I never saw that, never heard that. He was faithful to one woman, you know what I mean? So he was that guy who so was So seeing that dynamic in the household, mm -hmm. how, how did that impact? That that impacted me to who I am today. My mother was an educator. She was magna cum laude at FAU, one of the first black students to ever have a 4.2 grade point average at... Uh, FAU, and she had kids. Wow. When she graduated from Florida Atlantic University, she was had myself and Demetrius, and she was a, a working mom, driving school bus, working at J.C. Penney's, and going to college with two kids, and 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 graduating top of her class at a white university, the very wow. top. The Magna magna cum laude of her class. Yeah. How, how, how was it living in Revere Beach around that time? You know, how was the community? How was the lifestyle? Like, how was it like living in Revere Beach? Well, as, as a kid, we was, um, it, was, it was, to me, I didn't know any better because all my friends was in the neighborhood. You know, we could sleep with our doors open during that time. You know, it was, uh, it was cool, but... I didn't understand the plight that black folks were going through. See, but then I would see my dad in all these meetings and him, Mr. Calloway, Mr. Don Wilson, Mr. Bobby Brooks, Mr. Mr. Jones, uh, Mr. Moultrie, and all these guys were coming together with the Imperials Men Group doing things because I didn't understand that we didn't have paved roads on the west side. I didn't understand that we wasn't getting good garbage pickups. I didn't understand that they had the wall that was uh, uh, dividing uh, uh, the bungo, uh, we call them the bungo rats from this side, from Monroe Heights. And I understand that crossing the tracks was something different. I didn't know all that because I was a kid, but my father knew. I didn't know that you couldn't go to the gas station and the people would refuse giving you gas right here on Old Dixie and Blue Heron. You know, those things, my dad and I used to see these meetings going on. And then that's when I started learning more black black history and what the plight was here in River Beach. So and you just we, knew what you knew. I knew what I knew, but then it started me being kind of smart, you know, because it so made me, home. I'm home and I'm listening to the meetings and watching and knowing what's going on, that uh, it was a power struggle going on and knowing that, listening that it was only one black city councilman and that was Mr. Cunningham. And he was trying to fight for our rights as black folks here in the city of River Beach. And, and uh, he just couldn't do it alone. So as these problems was taking place, you know, my dad was going to the city council meetings and I happened to be with him a couple of times when they put him in jail for voicing his opinion about what was going on on the West side. And so, so the fight that your father was doing back then, why? Why was he doing it? Because he wanted the betterment of black folks. Because we was not being treated fairly with certain basic commodities here in the city of Rivera Beach. I mean, why we don't have trash pickups on a normal basis? 
Why we don't have our garbage being picked up? Why our roads are not paved and we paying the same amount of what? Taxes. That's a disparity in itself. See, those things used to take place back then. It doesn't happen now, you know. And those are things that they was fighting for. And then that was in during the civil rights era, the end of it, after Martin Luther King had got killed. You know what I mean? And then, you know, and they felt deemed necessary that it's time for change. So this during the time they had the riots, you know, with Kennedy, you know, the black teacher, I mean, the white teacher called one of the football players the N-word, and it just kind of just took off. Out, took off. Sheriff Heitman came in with the tear gas, and it was a big riot and whatnot. And my daddy became then the true leader of the movement here in Palm Beach when it came to when it came to uh our advancement and getting things on track for us uh what we needed, our demands, not well, I won't say demands, but what we needed to improve our communities. And uh we had to stop he had to stop the kids from really tearing up our city. Cause they really wanted to tear up Rivera mm-hmm. Beach, but that ain't what we do. So they went political and they mounted up. Uh, my mother, my father, uh, Miss Ada Reed, Miss Callaway, and a lot of guys came together and they started voters registration drives in 1971. Mr. Henry Taylor, all these guys were together. I was a little boy. I, I was watching, watching all this. Watching all this. Just watching all this stuff take place, you know. And, uh, and they mounted up, and they defeated the status quo because everybody came out to vote, just like right now. We're trying to get the Democrats to come out to vote, to, to, to make change and, you know, to overturn X, Y, Z. That's the same thing that took place on a, on a smaller scale yeah. here in Rivera Beach in order for change to take place. That's why we got a pretty much all-black council now is because of what they did some 50 years ago. Mm. Yeah, it's it's been some fifty years ago. And like, your father was part of all that. Yeah, he was the leader of all that. He was the he was the top guy uh, of all that, and uh, and that's how that took place. But speeding up a little bit, we kind of mm-hmm. lost our way after the change had taken place. It, the change had taken place, and then we got a lot of resentment from a lot of different people because, the mere fact, this it became a a black city. You know what I'm saying? The only black port city in America. Mm. Yeah, it is. You look around America, you never see, you don't see no more besides Rivera Beach. That's the only. So I want to get back. I, I want to get to something else. Um, just thinking about, I just thought about it. Growing up in a home with three. Boys, that's very close to age. How competitive was that house? Because you guys also played sports. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. you you played football. Yeah, yeah you know how how was that household? Well, it was it was a little different. Uh, it was we, a little different. It was a little different because I, I we were kind of spread it out just a little bit. I was like four 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 years older than Demetrius, mm-hmm. so it was like we had our own individual accolades. Oh, in different times. At different times. So we was able to really support each other during the okay. different times. It, it, and we was always, we was pretty much competitive. But we all, you know, still played and did stuff. But 
it was it was it was it was different because I was always the older older brother, so I was always ahead. So they supported me when I was playing football here, locally. You know, uh, for my dad because he was a football coach and everything. We played for him and then played at Suncoast and Guards and went on to Florida and University. Then moved on to the professional ranks. Played you know when I with this Tampa Bay Bandits and and I kind of dropped a little ball a little bit when I was. I going out to the Cowboys. That's when uh, I had some issue with drugs and alcohol during that time. So man. with, with that, that's a real thing. Yeah. So going, so you went from FAMU, then you were going, went to semi-pro or is that? No, that's, uh, that's the, pro. Tampa, pro. Yeah, Tampa Bay uh, uh, oh, Bandits. Mean, Bandits. So you, yeah, yeah. you went pro and right. then in that midst of doing that, you got into some stuff. Yeah, into I was in, I was in substance abuse when I was in college. Um, I think, I got around. I I knew I got around some of the wrong people when I was in mm-hmm. college. I I uh, when I got there, I didn't know anything much about drugs. You know, maybe a little weed or yeah. a little drinking. But it got more intense as I got there when I was meeting people from around the, the country. You know, I had a girlfriend out of Miami. I didn't know about cocaine and none of that stuff. And and uh, and that's what was heavy in the eighties. The lifestyle. Well, the so lifestyle. you you think that came with playing football? All the like the lifestyle I, I of all it, that, I think it came with me trying to be like everybody else, and I wasn't like everybody else. I was trying to be, I was trying to be a, a people pleaser, more so than being what God intended for me to be. And and I had to just keep it real, you know. Uh, I made mistakes that I shouldn't have made because of the mere fact that I'm trying to be like some that I wasn't raised to be. Lost focus. I lost focus, and I'm just have to be honest. I can't. You know, I'd be lying to say that, oh, no, uh-uh, I wasn't raised like that. But, you know, I was trying to be hip and cool and do what everybody else doing because I thought that was the way. And uh, and it wasn't, you know. And I just thank God that that he, that uh, him being God, that the Bible say you train a child the way he's supposed to go, he'll return. That I had good training prior. That's why I'm so thankful to my parents today that they trained me up as a child to do what's right, even though if I strayed, I was able to what make it back. So you're that's some that's something that I think a lot of people don't know that you overcame. Um yeah. how hard did it was it did it hit? And then also what did you do to get out of it? Well, um it was a it, that was a, a mean blow. It it it, it took me way around down. how old were you around that time? Um I was about uh let's see. When I was I was, had to be about 26, 27 years old when uh, it hit hard. It hit really, really hard uh, uh, because uh, when I knew that I wasn't going to make it in the NFL, I didn't prepare myself for life. See, my football coach, Rudy Hubbard, he said, okay, flee, because they called me flee at Florida a because I was quick, fast, could leap. You know, great body, everything. He said, oh, yeah, you're going pro, but are you prepared for life? But I wasn't prepared for life because I partied. I didn't study hard in college. I didn't do the things that I should have done as a college student because I strayed. I lost focus. I just did enough to play football, you know, get my 24 semester hours, and bam, you know. And when my dad... I can still hear him right now. He said, now, son, 
you got two things you can do when you get up here. Now, I'm going to tell you, he was, my dad was a straight shooter. He said, now, you can get your books, play football, and get out of here. Or you could play football, chase the girls, and party. And uh, it's not, you know, and he said it like that. I said, well, I messed around and made the wrong choice. You know, and uh, and that was it. So, and, but it was, like I say, the recovery process was a deep one. And uh, I had to dig deep. I had to go find God. I had to find God. I had to go find God to get back to where I'm at today. I mean, I was so far behind enemy lines. I was homeless. Uh, I hit rock, rock, rock bottom. I can't even imagine that where I'm at today, uh, that I would even have made it back from the experience that I went through with the drugs and alcohol. I mean, I never thought I would be here today talking on, on a show like this or doing the Super Bowl 17 times and meeting presidents and and the fame and notoriety that we that that's that that we've gotten that you know has come with uh the family tradition you know and uh what was the steps what was the steps of you getting cleaned up well first of all i had to admit that i was powerless that i had a problem see my 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 baby's mother tammy she said you got a problem something wrong with you man she told me this in college. She said, something wrong with you. I ain't nothing wrong with me. You know, I didn't realize that I had an addictive personality to drugs and alcohol, man. She said, you doing too much of this. She was down, you know, she loved me. She cared about me, but she recognized that I had a problem. But I didn't recognize that I had a problem because I thought, you know, this is what we do. Just hanging out. We hanging out. We party all night. We drink all night. We get high all night. Smoke weed and snow all night. That's what guys do. But some people were functional, but I was not functional. Some people can get up and go to class the next morning. I couldn't get up and go to class. You know, some people can go to work the next day. I couldn't go to work. So evidently, I had a problem that was different from somebody else's. So, and she pointed that out. No, I think I was about 24. Then this right when I was getting ready to go to the over to the to the bandits, you know. But that's when they wasn't doing drug tests and all that stuff. And did good in the combine and all that other stuff. And then when the league folded, the Cowboys wanted me, well, you had to take a mandatory drug test and then I couldn't pass it. And that was the ending. So you you said you went from homelessness. So you actually Yeah, I slept under bridges. I stayed outside. I slept on bus benches. I, uh, were you back home? Yeah. Yeah, my parents were no, uh, my one thing on my dad, he was, no, you can't come in like that, son. And I thank him for that. Because if he would have been an enabler, then I might not be who I am today. No, uh-uh, we ain't doing that. And it hurt him to his heart. I know he would probably cry at night because he knew I was better than that. And I knew I was, but... I was in the grips of active addiction at that time. It was it was tough, you know. I just matter of fact, I just celebrated uh, Monday night, uh, twenty three years without a drink or a drug. Twenty three years was was the other night. 
But let me go back. I got, this was in 1986, 87, 88, when I first got clean. I got clean, you know, I kind of accepted, went up to Cadiz up in Tennessee with Lamar Parrish and some of the other pro players. I got clean, but I didn't take it seriously. This is when I moved to California because they didn't want to come back to Florida because it was just too much. So I moved to California, got a good start, worked in the TV, film industry, wrote a television show, uh, booming, got a deal, big deal with the past and Gordy and was able to get into the business and stayed clean out there for seven years. And I worked for Denzel Washington and all those guys and Denzel threw me a party. Uh, they used to call me the rookie of the year because I worked so hard because I was trying to make it in the industry and I was, I had rapid growth from a grunt all the way up to almost the top of the food chain with, with the shows and the things that I was doing, you know, and, um, and got a lot of respect from my colleagues out there. And, uh, and at, at Motown, it was this girl working in promotion and she's so beautiful. Oh my God, this girl, I loved her. I was lusting after her. And she came to the party cause we used to do, you heard of Motown, uh, Motown Live? Right. Well, right. me and me and Bruce Walker created MoJazz Live, which was the jazz division of Motown. Wow. So that's how Motown Live came on TV, is something that we created, me and him. We created that, and uh, we used to do that at Creek Alley every Wednesday night. So they took the concept, and we moved up the chain, and Gerald Busby and all those other guys, who was the CEO, and Clarence Avon, and these are my colleagues then took that concept and turned it into Mo, Motown Live at that time. So they were so excited about what we was doing and da da da. So these guys was happy with the work that we was doing. So they kind of just came together through, we got to throw DMAC apart. This, they doing their thing, you know what I mean? So uh, it was my birthday and, uh, and she was there at Creek Alley and uh, she was drinking tequila. I hadn't had a drink, but let me go back a little bit. I wasn't maintaining my sobriety or me being clean. Mm. I was not taking the steps. I was not practicing the principles in all my affairs. I was a dry drunk waiting on a sinister moment for me to go back to what I had just left some seven years ago. You feel me? See, when you get in clean and recover, you got to, you got to keep maintaining and keep, uh, uh, doing the things that that's going to uh, keep you clean and sober. You got to keep practicing the same things over and over. But I wasn't doing that. I was trying to live like I was normal. But we're not normal once you cross that line of alcoholism and drug addiction. You, It's over. You can't go back to being normal. It's done. You either you are or you ain't. It's no really in between. So I wasn't maintaining what I needed to do because I was working, 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 thought I had it made. Uh, so she said, happy birthday, D. Come on over here with me. You know, I see you at work. Da, 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 da. I'm like, oh, shit. It might be. Excuse me. <laughs> I'm good. You, yeah. <laughs> it might this be. is the one. Yeah, okay. It's the one. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm like, okay. This might be it. <laughs> I'm like hit tonight, you know. This, this, is, <laughs> this is it. This is it. This is it. I've been waiting for this. Waiting for this one. So she said, "Come on over here. We're in the back of the bar, in the dog." Okay, I'm like, okay. 
Say, have a shot with me, you know? Because I, I know she's been seeing the look in my eye, like, she ready, I'm ready. And uh, I said, no, you know, I don't think I should do that. I shouldn't have a drink. <laughs> and uh, she said, come on, you can have one shot. I'm like, no, baby. She said it one more time. That Playboy D. <laughs> I was like, and I took that one shot of tequila. And before you know it, the party erupted because now I'm buying bottles. They say, D-Mac, you don't drink. What are you doing? Oh, it's my birthday. So the whole party rocked. Everybody partying. That now. one like, hit. That one drink sent me back and opened the floodgates of the beast. And he came in like a roaring lion. I mean, buying bottles, buying drinks. I don't know what happened to her. It wasn't I, even about her at that it, point. And it, I just wasn't even, yeah. Because I could still remember going down. I'm at the limo, at the top of the limo, staying with me. My, my man said, what you doing, D? This ain't you, man. I'm like, Shit, I it's on now. It don't You're, matter. It don't even matter. I'm in. I done hit. Well, you know, I, you know, just everything just came rushing back. We up and down Melrose. I'm at the top of the limo with bottles and a car full of girls. And then when we took the limo back, I done jumped in my car and went to Figueroa and picked up a girl. We done said, well, where the, where the cocaine at? Just kind of that vicious circle, vicious cycle hit right back so quickly. And uh, in Los Angeles, California, and I was lost for like three days in a hotel room. I had a pocket full of money, and we just ordering, ordering. The guys just delivering. Me and her in there. I could have got killed, gang bangers, all kind of stuff. But God still had his hand over me, even with me. Doing what I did, because this girl, I didn't know her from whoever, but she was a hooker. You know, we was in there. We hanging out, hanging out, smoking, drinking, doing what we do, you know, until it was three days I was so gone gone that she had to drive me home and catch a cab back. Well, she, she drove me home, left the keys, walked me to the door, caught a cab. That was protection itself. You know what I mean? 100%. Yeah. And uh, and I tried to fake it for a while, for a few months. And I just couldn't hold back. And I used the excuse to leave California. I never really told about that. My mom, she was really sick. My dad was, you know, sick. My mom to come back to Florida because I knew I couldn't let my colleagues see me like that. And I had some major stuff on the table, some major projects. And I just had to leave because... I know if they saw me like this, they would lose total respect for me in the entertainment world. So I came back home. I tried to fake it. My dad automatically knew something wrong. And then uh, he asked me to leave the house. Hey, man, you got to find you something. Because you were still using still in that using process. In that process. And uh, I couldn't get a handle on it. And that was in 96, 97. And um, so I stayed out for about two years mm. trying to get it back together, to get back, you know, what I had lost. You know? So when so I want to, so when you were leaving California, mm -hmm. you left because you didn't want to, you know, life was happening. You were getting high again. You mm -hmm. wanted just to leave that. Mm -hmm. Were you still working in the industry then? Yeah. So working in the industry, you came back home, 
but you were using still, but your right. father already knew something was wrong. Right. You then started um, using still, and you you lived. That's when you started living in the streets and all that stuff. Yeah, that's when it went downhill real fast. I came in, got a job um, up at PGA National, working in audiovisual and doing some stuff. You know, because at the restaurant he had already had some people working there, and because your father already opened up his rest, the yeah, restaurant. his father was already gone. Mm-hmm. You know, he had been gone since the seventies. You know, mm-hmm. this was in the in the in the 90s he had been over 20 years about it you know with, with mccray's over there after harvey's but um i uh got a job up at pga you know working with them and audio visual doing stuff setting up for the big concerts and things like that sound systems and doing stuff because i had that kind of experience working with motown and doing the stuff i was doing out there so it was something similar to what i was already doing and and uh, I held on to the job for a while. And before I knew it, you know, I was just getting high all the time. And, and I just basically just kind of just stopped going and got fired and then started living in the streets. And and then it just went from that all the way down to the gutter. And, uh, and what kind of saved my life, well, in between that time, let me say this, I went to jail like 30 times. In that process? In that two-year process. 30 times, bro. Felonies, all kinds of stuff. I couldn't believe it. I'm like, oh, my life. My life is over. I'm just figuring I'm dead. So is it you believe that you knew, you felt like everything was going so bad, you just kept it going? At that yeah, point, there was no care. It was, I just didn't care no more. It's like, this is my fate in life. This is my fate. It's just my fate, man. It's, it's just, you know, I'm just keeping it super real so Absolutely. people know that that this ain't been no cakewalk for me, Derek McCray, in life. Like, oh, I just had it made, no. This, this shit been real, bro. You talking about real hustler mentality, this is it. Hustler t- testimony, this is it. So, um, I uh, was buying some dope one day from one of my boys on Fires, who was sitting down talking, said, man, this ain't you, man. You the music industry, man. You do all this good stuff, man. Why you out here? You don't even be out here doing this no more, man. We love you, bro. I said, man, you know, this is what it is right now. So a kid walked by him. Say, said, see, man, this dude owe me $10. He been owe me $10 for the longest. He don't even want to be in my money. You know what I'm saying? Every time I find something, he don't, you know, he don't never want to pay me. So the kid came up. I said, man, where's my money? And his cousin was with him. He said, man, he number $10 for us. What you talking about? He said, man, you always try to, you know, mess me around when I front you and give you money. You'll never bring me my money back, you know, because everybody's serving and doing stuff. So the dude said, man, leave my cousin alone. He number $10. And he said, nigga, what you got to do with it? He said, man, I ain't got nothing to do with it, but that's my cousin. So, boom. So, Callaway, his brother, ran out the house. They said, leave him alone. So, when Callaway went to stop Forrest from punching him, the boy came behind his back. And I'm standing from Forrest, from me to you. The boy came out and shot Forrest four times. Bop, bop, bop. Then tried to shoot me. Bam, because I'm next to him. But then the gun clicked. I'm in the face of death. I'm like, oh. Then he turned to try to shoot 
his brother, and it fired, pow. Then I started to run. It clicked again. Boom. It clicked. I'm ducking. Then he went back and pop, pop, pop. Forest, and then trotted up the alley. Then that's when I knew that, I'm like, you know what? Something got to change here in my life. And um, that was in the summer of 99. And, you know, uh, I knew then that I think I, I knew that God had something special for me because I was, I could have been dead right there. And that was, I mean, a life changing experience in a, one of the most scariest experiences I've been in, you know, you know, when I'm watching somebody die and get killed right in front of me, then I'm right here to get killed, but then it don't go off for me, you know, and it go off at the other brother and then it come back and still don't go off for me. So I knew it had to be something spiritual, something miraculous, or the angels had to be protecting me, or it had to be something of of a deity or something watching out for my life at that particular time because they weren't ready for me to come in. So uh, a few months later, I was coming from court. I was still kind of living that lifestyle. I think it was October. It was October 23rd, 1999. Uh, God himself came to me on uh, 25th and Broadway. Cause I had a little trap house down the street there when everybody was still doing stuff and a pocket full of dope and all kind of stuff and uh, little pipe and things and he said, "Hey, Derek, I'm in the deaf angel." I felt so eerie and weird, like whoa, 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 and it was so vivid. It was vivid. It was no, it wasn't no joke. He showed up. He wasn't playing either. He said, "You go that way today, you are gonna die." You were straight up. Now you go across the street, you might have a chance to live. And I looked across the street, it was the Joshua house. The Joshua house was a men's uh, sober home right over there. And uh, and he said, now listen, I want you not to pick up a drink or a drug one day at a time. And I got you from there. And that was the covenant that I made with God himself the father, not to pick up a drink or a drug one day at a time, October 23rd, 1999. Because I figured he got some work for me to do, you know, but I didn't know that. All I knew was that, okay, this is a deep, scary situation because I just left one, you know what I mean? And uh, if he coming to me like this and I'm feeling weird, scared, and scared. I'm trembling, it's clear, like, hold on, man, this, these people ain't playing with me get my ass over here to this house. So when I walked over there, they said, we've been waiting on you. I'm like, what? Yeah, we've been watching you, uh, Mr. McCray. We know who you are. We've been waiting on you to come right in here. And uh, we know your story. We know who you are. And we've been waiting on you to knock on this gate. They say the only way you could come in here, if you, if you could do one night in the uh, uh, treatment where you go in and the detox. The detox. The detox. Now, you can go in one night and you can stay one night, then we'll allow you to come in. 
So I feel well, I probably could do one night, you know. But I was in active, active addiction. I was so far behind any of the lines, you know. But the conversation I had with God and the, you know, and the deaf angel and their you know, his 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 posse, his squad. I ain't, I wasn't trying to pick up that. I was like, okay, let me go because I ain't finna play with this man. You know, I'm not finna play with it. I'm not even gonna even try this, right. you know. It's, it's not it, the one. It's not the one. It's not gonna, I'm not finna do that. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? I don't know if anybody had a spiritual awakening or or whatever, but I've had that. And uh, so when I get to CARP that night, you know, I'm still ratchet. I'm still, you know, talking crazy, you know, because I have been in the streets and then, kind of transform into a street urchin in a sense, you know, where you know we have low morals and values and things. And uh, so I get in there. I'm taking the people peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and, you know. Now you got to test everybody. Yeah, I, you know. So I'm like, so the dude came in. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> it's, just, it's crazy. Man. I already know what you're talking about. <laughs> You so street in your yeah, mind yeah, that yeah. is just yeah, like, what I'm supposed to do. do. Yeah. No, you don't want you don't even want the sandwich. Man, but I'm a, let me just get give that. Me, give, me, give me that, man. <laughs> you don't even want that, do you? Not today. Yeah, that's mine. Yeah. So you know, I'm still. <laughs> excuse me, y'all. That's why my eye bad <laughs> <laughs> for that peanut butter joke yeah, sandwich. Yeah, that's why it's drooping because, as a matter of fact, that's, this is a sign of where I come from. Right. And. uh so late on at night, about 11, 30, 12 o'clock, the devil show up. Now, this is where the real test come in there. Preppy, white kid come in. I don't even know how he got in here with six, $7,000 in cash. In cart. I don't know how he got it in. He come right to me. I'm fresh off the what? Streets. I already got... Females, dope, anything to do to get the bread. He come right to me, man, let's boat, bro. Let's boat. Man, I got this bread. I'm ready to spend. And, you know, I'm from the street, so I could work it. I know how to work, you know. I could work it. You get the seven I grand. Get, I get the seven grand. Pinch him, break him off a little bit. Break him off. Stash, break him off. Stack. Get the little girl. You do you. You know what to do. Mm -hmm. Handle him. I'm going to go. Boom. 24 a, hours, you get the whole seven. What? Yeah. And keep working them, send them back to the ATM. As that's gone, we done make our bread. Work the working. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's a part of the, the game. It's the game. That's the game. So, I'm like, wow. So, I'm suiting up. I'm getting shoes on. I'm okay, my stomach bubbling, you know. We finna get good and better right now. Same, same night in detox? Same night in detox. Damn, dude. This was deep. This was deep. But, you know, and, uh, and a little voice saying, do you remember the conversation we had today? I said, oh, shit. Oh, that's right. I talked to God today. I said, man, go ahead on, man. Took my shoes off, laid back. I said, go ahead on, man, if I take your money right now. Because I was already, you know, ratchet. I'm going to take this money from you right now. So you just go ahead and go, man, you crazy. I got all this money. You going to sit here and talk about what? We can go get high. We go do whatever. I'm like, man, listen, go. You better go. I'm going to take it right now. I'm going to take it either which way now. Go. So 
that was the best decision I made in my life because I didn't go. If I had went, then I wouldn't be sitting here today. You would have died. I would have died. That was the ultimate test of loyalty to the covenant that God had presented to me right then because I was in super active addiction with cocaine, drinking, weed, that lifestyle. I was more addicted to the lifestyle than more to drugs. It's just the lifestyle, the ratchet, crazy living, more so than... You're unstoppable. Was un yeah. So just the... That was the hustler mentality going the opposite direction. Hustling. Now, this is a true hustler's testimony. 100%. You, you feel me? You might get all the other good stuff, but this is the bad stuff that turned into the good stuff. See? And um, when I made that decision, my life truly turned around. And that was the test of my life. I mean, you know, but that was the best decision I ever made in my life. When I told a man to, to go ahead on, and I stayed, you know, and... Uh, How was detox for you? Because I think I, what I hear is so many stories of people that have dealt with bad addiction. Detox is one of the hardest things that It was done. hard. It was hard because you're just fresh off the streets. And uh, you're still craving. You still want to go out. You want to do things. But, but after I made that decision, for some reason, the craving was a fleeting thought. I didn't, I didn't think about getting high. All I thought about was getting right now. Because to me, that was the ultimate decision that I need to get my life back and get back with God and work a selfish program and go back and honor my father and mother and start from the ground zero. Because then I felt that God had just delivered me from behind enemy lines when I said no to that. That empowered you. That empowered me to move forward. That empowered me to go back and start studying what my problem was. Then I found out through the study that I had a physical allergy and a mental obsession for the use of drugs and alcohol. Then it became deep that now I'm understanding what's going on with my body. That anytime I put drugs and alcohol in my body, I have an allergic reaction to it that it craves more and more and more. It's not like normal people that could have a drink and they could put it down. My body wants more and more and more. So in order for me not to get to that point, I can't put anything in my body to activate that craving. So it started making sense, sense to me because that was the doctor's opinion. So I had to go deeper to find out, well, what is Derek's problem? Because Derek don't like really getting high. Derek don't like really drinking. You know what I mean? But Derek has to change his way of thinking. That's that lifestyle too. Right. I had to change the way I think. I had to change uh, uh, my mindset was more so than anything else, the way I think. I, couldn't, I wasn't going to change my surroundings because, see, one thing about it, you can't, you're going to take you wherever you go. So I had to change me. 
So the blessing for me was that I got clean and sober where I got high at. That was the challenge, that all the drug dealers, all the people I was associated with were still around. So I didn't make a geographical change. The only geographical change when I moved from California back here. But I, when I got here, I was in the height of my addiction. So everybody around me was still selling drugs, doing everything else, you know. And so I started working a 12-step program. And, uh, and, and I got sold out to the program of recovery that, you know, first of all, God didn't make me for this. And my parents didn't deserve to see me like this. My kids didn't deserve to see a father that was on drugs and not being financially responsible or fiscally or, or, or spiritually there for them to watch them grow up because my kids was young during that time. So they really didn't know. They never seen me high or drunk or none of that. Their mamas did, but they never saw, so they can't really say anything. But I didn't want them to see me like that. You know what I mean? I didn't want the rest of my family to see me uh, not be nothing. So... So the pride started connecting again. Yeah, the pride. But the humility started kicking in because I need to understand how to be humble. And to me, humility was letting somebody else be right in my life. Letting the program of recovery, letting Tyrone be like, be right. How do I learn how to live again? You know, doing things the right way and not thinking that I know this and know that. How do I put all that stuff, Who because I worked in Hollywood, because I played football, because I was a college star and this and that, and my daddy, who he was, and all that other stuff. How do I learn how to live life, again, on life terms for Derek McCray? And how do I understand how to live? So I had to allow the program of recovery to be right in my life in order for me to live life to its fullest. So that's what I surrendered to, to that. And I surrendered to, to God because once I made the covenant, I wanted to stick to the covenant. And things like this stood out to me is when he told Samson, don't cut his hair. See, little things like that started making sense to me when Samson cut his hair and he had that covenant and he lost his, what, strength. That started making sense to me, you know. So you started going, basically going back to what your parents raised you. That's right. I went went back to that. You went back to the foundation. Back to the foundation. I went back as the prodigal son to my parents and kneel before them and ask for their forgiveness. See, I went back. I spent two months in the Joshua house. They wanted me to stay there a year. Now God says, time for you to go. Because I got some work for you to do. Because I understood what my problem was. Because I studied. I'm a college student. So it's like, you know, I did a dissertation on what my problem was. I went deep into the program and wrote, you know, a thesis on why, what my problem is. I had to write about it and understand it. Books, going from here to there and getting into this thing because I didn't want to live like that no more. And I had made a commitment to God 
that I wasn't going to do that. So I need to find a way to live life the right way. And I took what God said that we study to show ourselves approved to rightly divide the word of God in the spiritual realm. I took that same, that same uh, uh, scripture and put it into the natural. I got to study to show myself approved to understand where I'm at to live in the natural world without the use of drugs and alcohol in my life. If I want to live life to the fullest. And when I prayed, I didn't pray for wealth. I asked God for wisdom. How do I live, Lord? I need wisdom. I need to know how to do this. You know, I need to know how to live. I thought about day, I thought about Solomon. How do how do I live? I need wisdom and understanding. You got me. I'm sold out to you, so what do I do? Ain't about the money. I'll shovel doo-doo then get high today. I'll shovel manure. Then go back to the lifestyle that I was living previously for those two or three years, two and a half years, where people was getting killed, robbed, and the jails, the institutions, and all that stuff. So you believe once you got clarity and went back to your foundation, that's when everything changed. changed. Yeah, it changed. One day at a time. One day at a time. It didn't happen overnight. One day at a time, things started happening. It started happening because what happened was that I was committed. And the more I was committed, things started, more things started happening. I'm not, when people say, oh, he did the Super Bowl, but then they don't know what came before the Super Bowl. That's God. That ain't me. Because, as a matter of fact, that I honored the covenant of God that we say, you know, that he gave me. He didn't say I couldn't have no girlfriends or do this and that. He told me don't do what? He told Adam don't eat for what? That tree. I learned from that. He told me don't pick up a drink or a drug. So that's what I don't do today. My success don't come from me being the smartest businessman or this or that. My success comes from God himself and me honoring his covenant. Me not being perfect. I'm not perfect. All that, I'm just honoring the covenant that my God has given me on a daily basis, a 24-hour basis, a minute-to-minute basis as I live my life. What's the first thing that started happening? The first thing that started happening was... I break down some order how it started happening. Okay, let's do that. That's that's the beautiful thing. I I like that Uh, because when I write my book... It's going to be $100 in a grill. $100 in a grill. $100 in a grill. It's $100 in a grill that built what you see now. And we haven't got to the $100 yet. Yeah. Uh, what started happening was uh, my grandmother, Beatrice, baby B. McCray, believed in me first. She would make sure that I get to meetings. Because I said, Grandma... I'm not going back. Because she would cry when she was going to my father's place. Well, you know, she ran the place out here because my dad was in politics and doing all this stuff on uh, here on Dixie. But she would pass by on 13th and Tamron every morning just to glance to see if I was out there to make sure that I was all right because I was in the streets during that time. And she said I would cry 
you would never see me cry, but I would drop tears because it used to hurt me to see you on that corner with those guys early in the morning or sitting out there on a the milk crate seven, eight o'clock in the morning, and I'm going out here to make pies and that kind of stuff, and you out here all night long, and da 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 It would bother her. And uh, when I told her that I needed to make to make these meetings, that I'm going to the 12 o'clock lunch bunch at the uh, AA club, right, the Triangle Club, she said, well, I'll make sure you guys, I ain't got no money, but I'll come pick you up and make sure you get there. I said, Grandma, I got to do a 90 and 90. She said, what is a 90 and 90? I said, I need to do 90 meetings in 90 days because I'm not in the facility no more. I need to go there every day. I need to find a sponsor. I need to work steps. And I started explaining to her what the process of recovery is in order for me to maintain my sobriety to, uh, to get healthy again, as close to normal as I could. And I explained I will never be normal again, my grandma. But she said, I'm just, I love you, baby, and I'm just proud that you even trying. You know, it, it kind of smirked cry. <laughs> Think about it. It's a real thing. So, and even that support, I think for me, what, one of the things I love about this story of how the belief of your grandmother, mm-hmm. what was that for you? That was powerful. Because with her belief and sacrificing with me every day, then everybody else started to believe. Mm. That's a real thing. And it says that you have to convince family beyond a shadow of a doubt that your life has changed. It just don't happen overnight. So her belief brought everything together. Yeah. And, and the domino yeah. effect you got from that, which I think is important, man. I, yeah. I I appreciate the tears, man, everything you're doing because, and you opening up to this because I believe you're going to impact so many people with this story. Yeah. It's impacting me because the belief of family yeah. um, impacted you. And now yeah. you're impacting so many lives, giving so many jobs and everything else, man. Yeah. So let's keep going, man. I, I appreciate yeah. the tears, yeah. brother. Yeah. And I want you to be okay with it. Yeah. I want you yeah. to keep on yeah. sharing the story. Yeah. And keep on impacting because yeah. your story is bigger than you. Yeah. And, 100%. Uh, and uh, she she was with me every day, you know. And uh, I had to make that commitment because I knew what I had said to God. I knew what me and God had. I knew that my parents loved me, you know, my mom, my dad, and I just needed to. Let them know that I love them, but and I need to get this thing right because both of them was kind of sickly during that mm-hmm. time, and I and I just need to be there for them. And uh, and you were next, yeah, because you were the oldest. That's right. So it was like, was that your mother's father? What's I mean, that? your was that your father's mother? What's that? Your grandmother, my my father's mother. So the baby legacy B. for the her legacy, was yeah, mm. that's baby B. 
She could barbecue. She Were you cook. her first grandchild? No, I was actually her fourth grandchild, but her second, her second uh, boy. But I was the first for my dad. For the dad's business. Yeah, yeah. And she was overseeing your dad's business. Mm -hmm. So you were the one else was to take over yeah. after your dad. Yeah. So the connection I, for her, mm -hmm. it wasn't even just her yeah. grandson. It was her grandson that was taking over. That was the that was the, next. The king. The next king. I can see. Yeah. The next king was me. I didn't know it. Of course. Uh and uh, so, what's next that happened after you know yeah, so her support, her support, and uh, and things start coming together. You know, I uh, kept working. Um, I mean, I kept going to meetings. I ended up getting a job. Actually, bought a little car. Gave Fred a hundred dollars. He gave, he gave me an old car, and I cherished that car. I took care of it. Mm. I got a little job. Actually, at the strip club. Because that's the only place I could work. Because you had the felonies had and the everything. Felonies. And then, yeah. Uh -huh. And I went there with all the debauchery going on. Fernando was my friend. He said, well, I don't have no job for you, but I made a job. I started giving the girls a ride home after work. Huh? They would pay me. I was I'll Uber. I was Uber. Before Uber before for dancers. Uber for the dancers. I gave them a ride home. They gave me $25, 30 to give them a ride home. I was giving them a ride home, put the stuff in the car, take them, drive So you home. bought it. Let me, that's, see, this is what I love about Hustlers, man. Mm -hmm. So you got $100 up. Right. You bought a car see, for $100. You see the significance of this $100. Absolutely. Yeah. That $100 is important. Yeah. $100, you decide I'm going to buy a car with that. Mm -hmm. Took pride in it. Because right. now your ego is down. Right. It don't, I'm not the big time guy. Yeah. It's not even important right, to me right, right now. Right. I got it. One plus one equals two now. I right. got to get to wherever I right. got to go. Right. That car, you decided to go in the strip club, which I thought the strip club would be a bad place you work for you to work at because of the drugs right. and the liquor. You know, I mean, in fact, I don't know if there's drugs in the strip club. Mr. Yeah, well, With is. the liquor. I know they have mm -hmm. a liquor license. They can mm -hmm. sell liquor there. Mm -hmm. So that's there. That didn't bother you mm -mm. because you're already locked in. But listen, the deep part about it was speakable. It was no liquor. It was one of the clubs that only served uh, <laughs> sodas and whatnot. It was crazy. Oh, so See, you know you're going there for for well, ladies. You're going there straight for the ladies. It was more about the other stuff that was going on. But it was the drugs in there. They had little alcohol in the back. You know, it was all all over there. I already know what yeah, You know, okay. And but but with all that, my mind, I was so like the God. See, what people don't know, Jesus even went in the, in the belly dancing thing and got people out of there, too. He went in there. See? And what the program says, you can go anywhere you want to as long as your intentions are right. But you said something that was so important. Your your mindset is everything. Yeah. It don't even matter where, where you, you are. Right. Your I mindset can, is locked in. Yeah. It don't even matter for me. It ain't even matter. I don't care what they're doing. I'm not doing it. But you know you had to start getting some money I had, up. I had to start getting some money up. And the only person I know was, was Fur, Fernando. It was my boy because he said, come on, you can get a girl's right home. I'll find something. Then the next thing that happened. Fernando was a club owner? Yeah. He owned all the clubs. Mm. And um, he said, something about you, you're going to be a millionaire. He 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 called it out. He called that thing out. And I'm like, okay. I couldn't see that that far then. Mm. You know, I couldn't see it. And uh, so... 
the next thing that happened, uh, Moses said, man, I'm, I'm, I'm quitting. He was a, he was a floor guy. He said, I'm going to tell Fur, man, and Art, we let you get this job. Say less. Bam, there you go. I became a floor guy. They gave me the job because they seen how dedicated I was to just giving the girls a ride home, picking them up. They call me, I come pick them up, give them a ride. You know, I'm making a couple hundred dollars a day just doing that, you know, making sure they got what they need. The girls love me, you know. I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't do nothing, you know. Just hard working. Just hard working. You well, know? how important was commitment for you then? Oh, commitment was everything. Commitment, being committed to doing what I'm saying. They knew I was in recovery. They knew that I wasn't going to drink or do nothing. And it was just it. I was committed to to doing the right thing. The next right thing when nobody ain't looking. That was my goal because I had made the covenant with God. The most important thing I had made that covenant with God, not to pick up a drink or a drug. I don't care what it is. I want to pick up a drink or a drug. And whatever it took for me to have a change in thinking and a change in behavior, that's what it was. I don't care where I'm at or what's going on. So even me being in the strip club with all that going on, you know, I already got an entertainment background, so it kind of was a natural thing for me to understand the clubs and do that because when I was a little younger, I was all over Hollywood. So even though it was a different start, you know, I was in Sodom and Gomorrah, but... I wasn't finna drink or drug. And then that's one thing that Fernando and those guys liked about me is that he's solid. He's solid. So from that, I moved up fast. I made meetings every day. Still went to my meetings. They knew that Derek gonna go to his AA meetings, his NA meetings, he gonna participate, but he's gonna be to work. How was your grandmother in that time? My grandmother was, she was good. She was, she was, she was happy that I was were finding your way. Finding my way. Your father yeah. and everybody else, were they watching you? Yeah, it was watching. Growth? They was watching the grow. They was watching the grow. It was all right. How'd with you it. feel about it? I started if I was okay. I was okay. I wasn't I was uh I didn't want to seem cocky. I always wanted to mm. it was always easy does it. You know, because I was still getting on my footing, you know, and I knew that it was always some sinister moments. Or some stuff could happen just like what happened in LA. You feel me? So I was always watchful. I was always watchful and praying for that sinister moment, you know, to be protected for that. That's why I was always in those meetings because I didn't want what happened to me to happen again in LA for me to go through that same experience again. So I was always put on the full armor of God wherever I was at. So I made the meetings. God said, I always go to your meetings. I always go here, go there, you know, participate, be in the middle of the program. You could do whatever you want to do, but just be in the middle of the program. But for me to you, Derek, don't pick up a drink or a drug. And I got you. Go anywhere you want to go, but just don't. Just stay. Keep that consistent. Keep that consistent. So then what happened? So you now, uh, so now, now you're floor manager. So now, yeah. So now, yeah, I'm a floor guy. Floor guy. But then, next thing I know, I'm a, the manager of the club. Managing the club. Handling. What's the timeline like for that? This was like within six months. I mean, rapid growth. Got it in you. Rapid growth. They saw it. They already saw it. You know, they already knew, but they knew who my family was and everything. So, Fernando, he knew. The next thing you know, I'm managing three clubs. Peekaboo, Adult Bebo, and Studio X during that time. You know, all the clubs. We got, now we bringing in 
uh, uh, Lil Wayne. We bringing in uh, 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 Juvenile, uh, BG, Black Rob. I'm bringing all those boys, Trick Daddy, Trina. All of them coming through me now because I had the entertainment background. So all this stuff is coming back, what, full circle from what mm. I did in L.A. that's coming right here as I'm clean and sober, mm. but it's going the right way. You feel me? And I'm able to direct traffic because I'm already experienced in the entertainment business and bringing these people and doing different things and setting up contracts and doing the things and coming to come doing promotional tours and things come through the clubs and all that stuff. So all the previous experience that I had was coming back to me through through that. Mm. And that was my rise was coming rapidly because of the mere fact that I was not drinking and drugging. But I was still making my meetings every day. Five years straight without making missing a meeting. Because I was supposed to do 90 days. I was about to say. 90 days, 90 meetings is recommended. But I did five years straight with doing meetings. Then once I knew I had the program in, in, entrenched and etched in my soul, then I started doing two or three meetings a week instead of every day. Because now I kind of and got a grip on life and understand how to live without the use of drugs and alcohol and being able to work and make meetings and do different things and work with my sponsor, Bob, you know, and those guys and, and uh, learn how to, how what to. made you commit five, five years? Because I was sold out. I didn't want to go back. So your commitment to not going back made you commit to the program. Was it also like, you were so afraid of going back that you, the program was kind of your your guideline, your your safety net. Well, well, it was it was all that. It was just that that I enjoyed it. I enjoyed being clean and sober. I learned I I uh, the change in thinking and change in behavior. I enjoyed the lifestyle. I enjoyed not using. I enjoyed learning how to live without the use of drugs and alcohol and have a normal life. I enjoyed being able to be the designated driver. I enjoy uh, being the be guy. right thing for you yeah. from going to where yeah. you're from. I, I enjoy being able to watch people without saying, damn, I used to be like that. You know, and uh, being able to help people from a whole another perspective, being able to counsel and teach, you know, being able to do uh, therapy groups and talk to young kids about my experience, strength and hope, you know, uh, and be able to give my testimony like I'm giving right now to the mass amount of people that it might help. I mean, that's what God called me for. And then it started making sense is that, you know, this is what it is. This is what I made you for, you know, to do what you're doing, not for you to be perfect or be like, oh, you got this perfect life. Oh, you this, you that. I'm so uppity. I'm so bougie. No, I'm not. I'm a real, I'm a real from the bottom. I'm a real, and I, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And and this is real, you know what I'm saying? And uh, and that's what that's what my driving force that that I had a change in thinking and a change in behavior about my life. Is that you know, it was more important for me to please God or to the best of my ability than me to please man or try to be like something that I'm not. And it became enjoyable, and it's enjoyable for me today. You know that I got, you know, 23 years. But if I hadn't picked up a drink or drug, it would be 30, 33 years clean. You know what I mean? But 
But it's the story carries on. It's still going. It's still going. And um, so so I was able to manage those clubs and uh, and bring you know that's what my uh, my manager's experience really started coming in and being able to understand business a lot better on another level because the mere fact that I'm doing this stuff for Fernando, bam, 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 you know, um, handling big numbers and and things. And the incident that got me out of the strip club business really was my brother, Herman. He was working for me. I had him head of security and I was... That's your youngest brother. My youngest brother, yeah. And he was at the club and I had Took my son Derek, who's a pretty good football player. He was up and taking him around because these different teams wanted to see him. I think we was at UCF, and he was a running back, and uh, he was in camp. And uh, I got this phone call. We was on our way back. That my brother got hit in the head with a bottle at the club, trying to put somebody out. What he was acting crazy, so so he wanted to sue the guy. I say, well. You can't sue Fernando, bro. You know, we gonna pay for you, damn, you know, your stuff. But he thought that he was gonna get some money out of the deal. I said, no, nah, man, you can't do that, bro. He looking out for us. He gave Say, you the opportunity. It was an opportunity, man. We make, you know, I'm making three, four thousand dollars a week because I got the little food now. I got the food in all the little clubs, outside the club and in the club. So we got income coming in. From the food, he gave me the, the little restaurant, the little kitchens in the yeah, club, yeah. plus managing them. You know, so I'm like, okay, we got little little hot kitchens going. You know, I wasn't doing no barbecue because I respected my dad. Yeah. So I wasn't going to do no barbecue unless my father gave me the okay. The blessing. The blessing. So this is where the rise of the barbecue. So it was meant for him to get hit in the head, for him to do what he did. And um, so Fernandez said, man, you got to get your brother. You got to give something by him. I'm like, man, I've been trying to talk to him. And he's standing on trying to, you know, he said, well, D-Mac, you got to go. I love you, but you can't stay here because I can't deal with that. And he trying to sue me and da 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 and and blah blah blah. So that was like three or four grand a week. You know, that was big money to me at That's that time. That's good cash flow. Yeah, making that every week. You know, and um, so he fired me. You know, we good friends today. He yeah. fired me, so I had to figure out what to do. So you know, I had a, a little place down in Boynton. Uh, Matt had. Uh, Platinum Showgirls. So we had the little kitchen down there. But Matt was trying to steal my numbers or whatever it was to make his numbers inflated. But then I still, you know, had to pay taxes on my stuff. So so me but, and him kind So of, there's something in that process. So you, hardship. How did you learn how to start dealing with the hardships that you're going through? The program. Because I already went through hardships. See? And I started preparing myself for life. Remember what... Coach said, going pro, but are you prepared for life? Okay. See, now you see all this stuff is reverting back. Um, that, that's what, that's see, what I'm saying. So now you see everything's reverting back. So I'm going back to things that I should have done that I didn't do, but then I got myself ready because now I'm prepared, what, spiritually? I'm somewhat prepared financially because I was making a little money and putting a little money away. But then all this money finna dissipate because I'm living on, on a little bit of savings. Little bit, little bit of savings. So... So me and Matt kind of fell out. So I was like, oh, man, I ain't got no more money. You know, then my partner, Chuck Hicks, you know Chuck. I don't know if you know Chuck. Chuck, radio man, uh, 
had all the clubs. He had. I think uh, I know who you're talking about. He had uh, the club over on over on. Um, I can't think of. I, think I know him from radio. Radio. Well, he just yeah, it was CBS. He worked with CBS mm-hmm. for a long time. I think he I know some other stuff. And had a couple clubs, but anyway, he went to Harold and uh, and Fritz over at Diamonds because I was so broke, and it was like three or four months without, or maybe even five months without any income, and I was at, I was dead broke. Cause me and Matt fell out. I ain't gonna make no money, and uh, I was in the apartment and shit. I hadn't paid rent in about three or four months. I had to rent out of everything. Like, damn, how I'm gonna get this done? You stayed so, sober the whole time. I stayed, stayed sober the whole time. I stopped making me, and I ain't go mm-hmm. back. That's just one. Of course you did, but I'm just. Yeah, I, but I think I'm saying a lot. Meaning, like through this whole time, you just focus. You still locked yeah, in. I didn't go back. This was in like 2004. Yeah. 2003, 2004, yeah, I didn't go back. Mm-mm. I didn't go back. I still made the meetings every day. Didn't go back. Still hitting those meetings. Yeah, through all the hardships, you know, that's just it, you know. I thought about Jesus in the wilderness, you know what I'm saying? See, I started thinking about the spiritual connotation with my life and kind of putting it together on what prophets and what these guys had to do. It went all peaches and cream. Everybody think it was peaches. See, Moses was in the desert. But you got to stand and go and say it goes back. That was the foundation that your parents was instilling right. in you from the That's right. That. Absolutely. So uh, he would go with another strip club because we had the connection. So so this one, uh, Chuck said, man, you know you could barbecue real good now. you one of the best in the round now, you know, because I don't eat your barbecue. You know, your daddy, your daddy the king, but. You know, he probably about ready to sit down. You know, you need to probably think about getting your grill or something. I'm like, man, I don't know. I'm, you know, doing the little other little stuff, little bar foods and stuff. I'm hustling, you know what I'm saying? And, uh, and I'm like, oh, well, I'll think about it. So, you, do you, uh, so with that, man, I want to ask you this question. Do you think you felt like you weren't honored enough or you weren't prepared? Like, it wasn't. No, what I felt like was that. It wasn't my time. My daddy was still on stage. Mm. And it wasn't for me to upstage my father because I had mad respect and love for my dad. This is what he did. It wasn't my time to try to right, outdo right. him. I'm not going to try to outdo my dad. I'll do something else because I don't care what happens. That's what he known that's for. That's his, that's, his, that's his space. I'm, getting his, I'm not going to get in your space, dad. You know, I won't do that. I'll do everything around it now, you know. Now, see, man, you could barbecue. So I didn't even know my dad was waiting on this. So it was like, he went to Harold and Fred, say, listen, I got the best barbecue man in town. And Harold was cool. He was cool German. Oh, who you talking about that D-Mac, huh? And Fritz said, yo, you tell his motherfucking ass to come over here. He talked German. Mm-hmm. I like D-Mac. Because they knew me from the clubs, from the all the clubs. They knew me from the strip clubs. Because they knew we was running things on the on the, on the the urban side. Mm-hmm. It was doing stuff on the on the That's Caucasian right. side. So they liked how I moved with that. You know, even Tommy had sugar daddies. All mm-hmm. these people and my colleagues, they loved me. Like, okay, this is my man. They, they saw the work that you put. Yeah, they, put, they saw it. So they, they, they gave me mad respect. You know, being with Fernando and bam, bam, bam. So, so they say, okay, we'll try. 
So I went to my dad. I was broke. I said, well, dad, listen, is it okay? <laughs> I think I want to uh, cook some ribs. Uh, barbecue. Um, I got a little space. Because, you know, I could have probably went to the restaurant, but my cousin Walt, he had a full staff at the shop. So I ain't want to put nobody a new job, you know, because they need their work. So I didn't ask him to come down there. You know, he probably would have let me go down there, but I said, well, I'm going to do my own thing. Is it okay? He said, yeah, that's good, son. He said, I said, well, I ain't got no grill. He said, well, I got a grill for you. I ain't got no money, but I got a grill. I said, well, Mom, I need uh, a couple of dollars I'm broke. She said, who goes, son? She went in her purse. She was in the bed because she had multiple scrolls. She said, give me that purse over there. She gave me a $100 bill. You see how the $100 coming back again? Same $100 bill. $100. And I went and bought a few slabs of ribs and some few things. And my dad said, come on. And he took me down there, right down there. You waited for this opportunity. Yeah. And sat down. He's a pastor. He was a pastor. He sat down there with me in front of Diamonds. With his son. His son. Firstborn. Let's go. And set up. Showed me how to set up. The grill, we brought the wood. He sat there with me for about two weeks training. You know, the thing is, man, the, that that does something to me, man, because I already know having that father figure, like that torch being passed down has, yeah. was everything for you. Yeah, yeah. And he and he anointed me. He said, let's go. And he said he was waiting on somebody to step up because he was ready to sit down. Mm. And then and he... He took me through the, the drill. You know, I already knew because I grew up in the business, but then he just gave me, like, this clep course, refresher course, this and that, oh, you need to do this, how to get this fire going, boom, 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 and how when to flip, when to base, when to do this. He sat right in front of the strip club. He'll pass that greater Bethel. He's a pastor under Reverend Henley, but he right My there son. with me. Son, sat right there with me for about two weeks, and he, and, and he was out there with me every night. And then before you know it, uh, so Money Q Green was on uh on X one oh two point three, yeah. And he said the king is out there in front of the diamonds with the ribs. Boy, and it took off. Money mm. Q Green started telling everybody that I was out there. D Mac out there with them ribs in front of the diamonds. Y'all need to go by there, bam, bam, bam. He'll do me interviews and everything. And that's when it took that's off. That's why you believe in radio so much for yeah. the years I've known you. Yeah. And he he would cause see money me and money Q was close when he first got here, see and he got here and we just hooked up and he was with Channel Five and doing things in technology then and then to go by his house me and Ray Nelson when we had the black pages when we got out of college and we was doing different things before the addiction got as bad as it was I forgot to talk about my boy Ray you know because we had to, we started the black pages of the Palm Beaches. So we was already doing stuff with the black businesses talking about black economic parity when I came back from playing ball. So those are things. And we was in active addiction wow. doing things like that. You know, my boy Ray, you know, great entrepreneur. That's my, my you know, college roommate. Yeah, that's my role. That's my, my brother. You know what I'm saying? So we missed some other points about other people that has influence on where I'm at today. Don't worry, we're going to do part two, three, four, five. I don't Yeah. I, so I need so stuff much like more this. Stuff. This information yeah. is powerful. Yeah. So 
my dad sat out there with me, you know, for two weeks. He got me straight. You know, we we was buying stuff. You know, that hundred dollars turned into a thousand dollars that week. I was able to go get more product and get things set up. I bought a tent, did some other stuff. Then Harold and Fritz loved the ribs coming right off the fight. He said, this is the best goddamn ribs I ever had in my life. You motherfucker. And that's what Fritz used to say because he was a freak. He was crazy. Right, right, right. Fritz was a fool, but he was like, I love you, you black motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, he was like that. You got that. And then he started telling everybody, and all his German friends and people coming from the airport would stop by Diamonds. And before you knew it, Diamonds parking lot was full with people coming after hours to Diamonds right there on Congress. You remember Diamonds? Mm -hmm. Right there. And that was the after hours joint. You know what I'm saying? People was coming, getting ribs. The parking lot was full. Was there at 6, 7, 8 o'clock in the morning with Selling ribs. ribs? Selling ribs. And in parking lot was full. People, we had to set up chairs and tables and all kind of stuff and in the club jumping. And they loving it because now we out there in the radio. Again. What do you think you was cash flowing at that time? At that point? I was doing seven, $8,000 a week. You know what I'm saying? We was doing that. I mean, it was it was it started with the hundred dollars, you know? And we kept flipping, then something crazy happened. And I think it was it's always something crazy that happened. But this see, guy, something crazy happened is a normal thing. It's not, yeah, but and being once I able think about to actually maintain and balance and create that structure, that's all that matters. Yeah. Because if you gotta be prepared for something crazy, yeah. But the foundation but, is the important yeah. part now. And you're absolutely right. And then with that, um, the kid, uh, this guy was trying to go into business with me, you know, and I really want, I ain't never really like business partners because of the fact that it's, it'd be too demanding when you got too many hands in mm -hmm. the pot, that type of thing. So I uh, bought a little car, a Mercedes. It was a used one, a nice one. And um, you were from a $100 car to a Mercedes. You're doing all right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Progress. That was progress. Yeah, uh, but the 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 the, the my uh, car that I had the hundred dollar car, I fixed it up. Put uh, you still kept that car. I on? kept it. Let me tell you what happened. I fixed that car. We put uh, uh we put the package on it. I put the the dual exhaust. <laughs> I put the uh the the all that on it. Uh, the we done kit, souped the, up the, the car. The car, the kit, the everything. What they call that? The X kit. What they kit? They kit? I, I don't know, know what it's called. Pack, I can it was only nice. Imagine. It was nice. It was nice. So uh, I wanted to do something with my brother, man, and uh, and uh, and I and somebody ran in the back of me and smashed the car mm. and tore the whole car. So that's when you know I had to get another. I, I took pride in that car. Absolutely. And in, in that car, you know, because of the fact, that's when, you know, I knew that I had to cherish and do things right. It just, you know, mm -hmm. you, you, you just want to do it right. Take something from nothing. You want to care for it. Yes, right. But what it was, was the symbolic thing was taking something that's less and turning it into something. And that's what God was telling me. I'm gonna give you this hundred dollar car, but you're gonna fix it up. I'm gonna show you that you're gonna take this. And that car was now not worth a hundred dollars more. It was worth about maybe twenty, thirty grand if right. I went and sold it. it was, you know, because I had it fixed up with the the engine, put a three hundred five, and boom, 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 and 
got the airbags off and put regular shocks and boom, just put that thing up. You know what I mean? So now the symbolism is now he still gave me another hundred dollars with the grill to do what we're doing now. I'm going to show you how to take this hundred dollars and take it and do this with it. Now that goes back to the other parable that I'm going to go back to is that he gave one man 10 talent, another five, another one, one. He gave the man 10. He went and look, master, look what I came back with. He got on fire. Look, I did his thing. But the one that had one buried it. So I learned not to bury because the one kept standing out. Don't bury that one now because this dude buried the one and I gave him one. But he know that one was worth more than all the 10 and 5 that other people had. So I never, in my mind, being spiritual, I never bury the one. I take the one and try to make that one work because if his blessings are on top of it, it's going to multiply more than what the man that's got 10 or 5 got. And so that was in the teachings in the beginning when we are going back to me getting clean and sober, bringing the spiritual principles into the work ethic to multiply different things that, that I do. So back to that um, dude hit the brand to the Mercedes. Mm -hmm. Back to the Mercedes, talking noise, da, da, da. So he went down to Cheetah, right? <laughs> so I said, man, um, just, just fix the car. So he didn't want to fix the car. So my brother, myself, one of my other employees and you gonna get part. So we walk this. down there, we go see him like, hey man. Because he talking on, he just got out of jail. He thought he was this and that. And like he threw his drink back. Come on outside. He's a big cocky white boy. Say, come on outside. You know, he said the N-word. Oh, okay. But he walked out into a hornet's nest. You know the moves was out there. Yeah, he know. So he throw his little dukes up. Before you know, he done got smashed. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So I think, you know, the, the people heard about it, the sheriff and everybody started looking for permits and this and that. And then. It's changed everything. That changed the whole game, you know. So they made us leave, you know, made me leave. And the blessing, here go the other blessing, was that this lady named Kathy. And Bob had the place on 45th. Now, this is how we got to 45th Street. And I used to be in this little incubator program when I kind of first got back here. We didn't even talk about the incubator program, but the music and all this other stuff, and you know, before everything went downhill. And Kathy remembered she was trying to barbecue, and I showed her how to keep her meat moist. And she always remembered that, and she always loved me for that. So, she heard I was barbecuing, and uh, she said, well, we got this jerk festival thing going on. I hear the very first jerk festival. Now, you then did about 20-something 20, 20 mm -hmm. years now. The first one, I went out there with her, and we won it with the barbecue. Wow. And so she was ready to leave off of uh, 45th Street, and the trailer that was there, she said, well, Derek, we're moving to Hilton Head, South Carolina. Would you like to get this spot? I say, yeah, because I'm already ain't got nowhere to go. Right, right, right on time. Right on time. Again, here we go. Just like what happened with the strip club. Here we go, no, diamonds. Then here go God, got another ram in the bush. 
Here we go. And so I said, yeah, I'd like to uh, take that spot. But I didn't know it was going to be the issues to come with it. Of course. So we got the spot. Uh, we won the Jerk Festival. She left. She sold it to me for five grand. You know, I paid mm-hmm. over the course of time, gave her a little money, you know. She didn't beat me up by, you know, maybe I think 100 or 200 a month or something until it was wow. paid off. Or, you know, it was a blessing. And, uh, but I didn't know that uh, they didn't really bother her. But when they saw I was there, then it was a whole nother because the skin color. Oh, what he doing over here? So Lee Laughingwell went ham, but she had a new victim, which was Derek McCray in the city of Mangonia Park. I remember you going through all type of stuff like that. Oh, man. And she used that. Oh, my God. They tried everything to to shut me down. They did this. Code enforcement, environmentals, this, that. The whole nine. And and we took off, though. Even with all that adversity, God God stepped up even more. Stay Um, grounded. Stay grounded. So still making meetings now. I ain't miss no meetings, so I don't everybody know. We still made the whole the time, meeting, whole time meeting. meetings. A A N A C A making my meetings. No miss no miss because we're still in the five years now. Wow. Yeah. You know, we don't get outside the five years to like two thousand five, two thousand six. Mm-hmm. You know. But um so um we get it, we rocking and rolling. And matter of fact, when I first opened up was the anniversary of when my uncle Harvey opened in 1934. Same exact time. Symbolic. Wow. Like in the last in the Your in steps the, are ordered, my brother. Right. There you go. So we taking off. Like, whoa, it's jumping. And she trying to shut us down. So within the first six months from June to December, I was able to purchase the property mm-hmm. right there. Because when people seen us jumping, everybody tried to now buy that property. Of course. It was trying to buy the property. Anybody want the property when I wasn't there. When all of a sudden now, everybody's trying to buy the property on 45th Street. So I'm like, whoa. Then he said, Daddy, this Pakistani guys, they trying to buy this property. We want you to have it. You deserve this property. No, no, let nobody else. You need to come up with da da da. And you know, I would pay them their money every faithfully every month. You know, the lease that mm-hmm. I had with them, and they know they could come pick it up and and X Y and Z. So uh, I went and did the deal. I came up with a hundred grand. You know, gave them fifty thousand down. You know, and uh, had to pay another fifty. You know, while I was doing it, so I ended up getting the title and, and everything to the property. And I was paying them, you know, $50,000 increments when I could come up with it you right, know, right. To, to do it and keep the property. Then uh, the guy, then the economic downturn was starting to hit, but then Larry Cezanne picked it up because the Indian, the Pakistani guy owed Larry the money. So he transferred the property to Larry. So then things became normal. He wiped some of the stuff off, and then me and Larry became very, very good friends. And he was in the fight with me, with the city, and making sure that because he said he pays me every month. 
Yeah. You know, he's a Jewish guy. He pays me every month. He, what are you guys? What are you guys doing? Leave him alone. Yeah, yeah. I pays, don't know the point. I don't even understand what you're bothering him for. You know, the guy pays his bills. Right. You, you know, I'm getting my money. <laughs> right. So leave him alone. <laughs> leave him alone. You know what I mean? So that's how Larry was. And and um. But then when did the all the Super Bowl and all that stuff? But happen? this happened. This was weird. I'm gonna tell you. And I mean. Let me tell you what happened before the Super Bowl. Before the Super Bowls, we had the jazz festivals. The Rivers Jazz Festival. So you started taking your. I didn't know. Listen, this this thing. When we first got there, um, two thousand, I got there in two thousand five. Two thousand six is when we got to the jazz festival. They said we need McCrae's. That was our How first, did that do for business? And we did like fifty thousand dollars in sales that day, that weekend, that weekend. That weekend. You know, it was three days. Everything. Change, start changing everything. Start changing the game. And this was hundred dollars. Yeah. So my brother kind of got upset because he. I ain't tell you about his part. We got to talk about him too, man, because he got mad. He was working. He was doing cars and. Selling stuff, Herman. Yeah, he got jealous, man, and started acting ugly. I couldn't believe that, man. You know, I brought him in because of, yeah, I'm brothers like, do those things. Yeah, I'm like, man, listen, I was you know making money down there, diamond. So I brought him in. Come on, I'm put you on with me. You go down to TKO with Big Mike, and you know you had that spot. I had this spot. I'm gonna supply you with the product. Mm -hmm. You, we gonna make money together. But then he started getting selfish and greedy. Like, oh, I can make this by myself. Then he started to do, yeah, you, know, you know. And that's how I, that I ran into him in that, um in Atlanta yeah. a couple like yeah. last year. So I think that's how he wasn't even thinking about that. You know what I'm saying? But then, you know, he saw that and then then, you know. But things you know, change. but just things changed. But you know, I love him. That's my little brother. So. Absolutely. But then he still got to come back, you know, this way. But I still look out and make sure, you know, it's I mean, family. It's family. You know. And uh but anyway, and then that's how that we got to that point is that we did that jazz festival and it was so successful. You know what I mean? And uh, my brother was supposed to be out there with me. He got mad because we was making money, turning the grills and shit over and, and <laughs> acting ugly. My daddy started crying, man. Well, what you doing, wow. son? We out here together. You know, my daddy was just proud that he could see us growing from what he saw the progress. Absolutely. He saw the progress. And he was happy because he seen the dedication, the commitment of McCray's name, the legacy starting to kick in place, mm -hmm. the, the the different catering events and people calling and we doing things and, and it was just miraculously start coming together. Even with the fights, mm -hmm. you know, the political fights and everything else. Then um somebody uh uh was saying that uh they was looking for the best barbecue in South Florida. The NFL, I didn't even know. So they had been searching all the big places and something. And so my friend from college, Deidre Jacobs. I always come back for y'all. Hmm? They always come back for you. Yeah. Deidre say, y'all well, need to go over there and check out my homeboy at McCraig's. She sent him over there. I didn't even know nothing about it. And he had, whoa, this is the best barbecue we ever had. The 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 uh, the uh, uh, host committee. From Miami, like, hold on. He started sending more people. The next thing I know, we had to do this thing for uh, 
uh, the host committee uh, a catering. And they ushered us in like a first-round draft pick. Like, this is it. This is the guys. It was like uh, Jerry Rice out of Mississippi Valley State. Like, you never heard of that, but he's the first-round draft. He's the truth. This is the truth right here. And they put us on a world stage, and we showed out. Wow. It was so, so... give me some steps. Give me some things they did for you guys. Let me, let me tell you what they did. This is what happened. They ushered us in. They they got us ready. We went through the procurement process with, here with the county. We got had to get, get certified and everything with the county because you have to be uh, county certified and all those mm-hmm. type of things. Had to get all our documentation together. We went to all the different meetings and stuff. We had the largest contract out of anybody. As oh, a yeah. first time, as wow. a first time uh, uh, restaurant vendor for, vendor, vendor for them, they was featuring barbecue this year, and they took us, you know, and and they put us out front as they feature wow. as one of the world's best, and we got to get into this now. This is gonna be deep, yeah. So, uh. All the cameras, everything started, started coming. And it's like, we was already prepared because, you know, I've been to Hollywood, so I understand the cameras. I'm already... It's showtime. You got showtime. that. showtime. I've already been on stage, so I understand that and whatnot. You know, things are starting to happen. You know, the uh, we ready for the big stage. But then you got to look at my history. The drugs, the alcohol, going to jail, and some other stuff that didn't happen, too. So we had this guy, Tommy, who's one of our, our people that was doing the documentary and putting stuff together for our first event, you know, and uh, we were doing these several events, you know, we did the start the Otis Anderson scholarship fund on our first outing. We had uh, Howard Hewitt to come. We did all some big stuff for the first time out for our first Super Bowl as us being featured, uh, uh, I can't think of the lady name. She was so good to us. Uh, who had her set up at the Super Bowl? And uh, so it wasn't just the food they wanted. They also brought all the other resources. Yeah, they had. yeah, we brought yeah the, the whole thing. They brought everything to us. You know, from from them coming up to McCray's and 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 uh, uh, giving out uh, doing events with us and everything. It was it was nice. It was it was a full fledged. Uh, uh, production. In, production, NFL experience, yeah, the NFL experience, all that was right there as their partner, as the uh, as a uh, business connect partner with them. You know what I'm saying? And but you were prepared for this time. I was prepared. I was prepared spiritually because now I got five years clean. Speak a little bit about the importance of being prepared for success. Yeah, being prepared. Uh, uh, uh. Let me go back to that. Because remember when we were talking about are we prepared for life? We, we, we talked about preparation. You know, but we was prepared because the mere fact that I had did the homework. I made sure that every I was dotted, every T was crossed. I made sure that we was not lacking in any area. We had a high level of quality control. Uh, when we presented information, it was on time. 
our 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 quotes and all of our uh 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 all of our uh numbers came back consistent. We didn't come back props gouging or anything. We wanted to be right in that pocket about sending numbers is. back, you know, not trying to be greedy or anything. Just be right there what we would normally charge anybody. We didn't price gouge the NFL. We just want to make sure that the numbers were right. That type of thing. My staff was already prepared because we had training programs already going on. We was doing all the necessary things to be successful. When I say that, you know, we had manuals in place, this, that, all of the proper stuff, you know, because I'm already at a spiritual high, making sure that we're not going to drop the ball with this. Uh, so, we was already, like I said, we was prepared to go in there. My, my staff was ready. We had went through the exercises of what we needed to do, you know, grills, this, that. Everybody knew what they had to do going in, you know, for his uh, preparedness. I mean, if that's the question that you're asking. Yeah, that's what I... Yeah. We, we, everybody knew their assignments, you know. You call me Tom Brady during that time. I'm Absolutely. Tom Brady. I'm making sure we're going to win this. Uh, so back to timing. Tom was a good guy. Tommy had a cocaine habit that we didn't know nothing about. He was doing all the documentaries and everything. So we getting ready the day before. We bringing all the grills and everything down, loading up, setting up, and you have to go through this big uh, scanner. So everybody gets through except for Tommy and his friend. So the dog's barking. So we're like, well, what's going on? Everybody else can get in to the Super Bowl on our first one. We can get in. We setting up, getting everything ready. You know, my cousin Walt, who's gone. My brother Demetrius, who's gone. Everybody, my whole staff ready. But Tommy, who's the videographer with us, he can't get in. And the other guy who has our grill can't get in with the big dooley. These two guys got cocaine on. I mean, like, what? You didn't want to hear that. No, they don't need it. So... So, you know, we made, I made them unhook the grills. Y'all got to unhook these grills. I'm like, I ain't got nothing to do with that. I don't know nothing about it. The people believe me. Sure. So, but the lady was so hurt because now the FBI, the CIA, the, uh, oh, all the uh, top security, you know, in the world, because that's the second, second most secure, secure event in the world. That they got to make sure things is right. So, so everybody else, we was there. We got everything set up. At the end of the day, on that Saturday, by the time we get ready for showtime on Sunday, she kind of came to me in tears, say, well, Derek, uh, I got some bad news. She said, oh, the space looks phenomenal. You got everything in place, all the grills. Even Cheney Brothers was with us during that time. They came. I remember the relationship. Yeah, we still got a relationship with with uh with uh with Cecil and and uh, mm-hmm. and Byron. You know, still great guys. 
Uh, they brought the big trucks down. They made sure we had refrigeration. They made sure we had big grills. They made sure that we was lacking in nothing because That's of community because support. Of, because of the notoriety and the national and worldwide support and the worldwide uh, uh, fame and, the visibility, and, and the visibility that we got. You know, with that and and they got it. They donated. Make sure we had the right ribs because we fed that year. Uh, probably with 15, 16,000 people, something like that. It was a big number. But getting back to the the, the, the story, so with Tommy and this other guy, his friend, who he brought, had to come in with the big doodle to bring the two, two of the bigger grills in. Actually, he was riding with the dude. Mm-hmm. They had oh. the grill. <laughs> they was riding together. That's what happened. Those two was riding together. And... Uh, and we told them to unhook the grill because they say, Mr. McCray, we got a problem, you know, with these guys. They didn't tell me right then what was going on. What? So then they came and said, well, this guy's got cocaine on him. I'm like, what? And it freaked me. I mean, get my grill off. I was mad now because now you course, jeopardizing you're messing up my, my opportunity. opportunity. Like, and then I'm coming from that world. So you, yeah. I'm definitely thoroughly hot. I'm giving you an opportunity to video, video, you know, do the videography and do the document, docu- documentary and all this stuff. And, you know, he did a good job, but this is not it. So uh, we get set up at the end of the day. Uh, where I think it's Laura. Her name is Laura. She came to me at the end of the day. She was, I could see in her face there was something wrong. She said, Derek, I got some bad news. You're not going to be able to attend with all the work you've done, uh, you've been denied entry on tomorrow because of what happened, because of your old background. We had got you through the first one, but this kind of, we couldn't get you through CIA and the FBI. We tried, but they said no. Because those guys were a part of your team and you had that old history and, you know, probably if they hadn't did it, you wouldn't have had an issue, but since they... Too close to home. Too close. So you won't be able to go in. I broke down right there. Like, but, again, you say about preparation. I had a team so prepared to go that my brother, I gave my brother, Demetrius, who I love, you know, he said, you next in line, bro. You got to run it. You know, my cousin Walt, both of them are dead now. My brother Demetrius died in June, you know, I miss him. I miss him. I miss him, man. Demetrius took the round. He took it. He said, I got your big bro. Wait, I'm trying to, you just messed me up with this one, D. I yeah. didn't know this part. The biggest stage... Mm-hmm. Big, one of the biggest opportunities you received since you've been through the trials of whatever, whatever you've been through in life. Sorry, I'm so I'm so off with this one. Mm-hmm. You're literally the day of the Super Bowl. You guys are there. You've been preparing, working through this whole thing. Somebody wanted to be part of a documentary. It had nothing to do with the Super Bowl, nothing else. He was just coming to add extra. You give him an opportunity. You've been clean. Mm-hmm. You've been doing everything you're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. 
the day of the Super Bowl, you're told you the, can't go in the because day of somebody else. And the thing that you've been beat, you beat mm-hmm. like the yeah, and uh, that one would that one hits different. They hit different. I mean, I cried. I was cried. We Elsie Hastings jumped in, tried to. Everybody tried to help. Yeah, tried to help. Elsie, Elsie, my dad. Everybody tried to do something, man. And Elsie was Elsie Hastings. You know, really was upset that that happened. You know, we called some of the big guns and those people like. So you know that was a big blow to me, but then it was like that was the sacrifice I had to make to do another sixteen or seventeen though. Wait, so you still can't go in? I can go. Oh yeah, I'm going. Oh, now. I'm about to say no, now. No, about- no, 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 that was just that first one. So it's wow. like I had to sacrifice wow. my firstborn. Wow. For that, that's what happened. The first one, the very first one that I got all the fame for. That we did. You weren't even in there. I was there, but I was not inside. The McCray name went. The McCray name. Your I brother said, stepped my up. My brother stepped up. They fed everybody, but I had them so prepared. That thing just you see, did your part. I, I did my part. I they they was I already that was important. That yeah, this see, like this was meant to. Yeah, I can't even. Of course, I would love for you to be part of that first one, but but God set it up like wow that. They were so prepared that it ran without a hitch. Wayne Heisinger, Justin Timberlake, Michael Jordan, Shaq, all those boys. I mean, that's what it became very powerful for McCrae's. All those boys came through looking for me, looking for Derek. They just made it some excuse that, you know, he's over there somewhere, you know. But... You know, they didn't, you know, but they served, they got pictures, we got all the pictures and everything. Those guys love McCrae's and everywhere we at now, they show up and come, you know, based on that. they God anointed those guys to perform at such a high level, man. Based on that, he knew my heart, he knew what we had prepared for, you know, and uh, my team was so outstanding. Deborah Hall was there. Deborah did an amazing job. Deborah helped lead the charge. Deborah, she was there. She could tell you the story too. Uh, Demetrius did an amazing job as uh, carrying the torch. Carrying the torch for me. That's so powerful. Yeah. 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 And most people don't even know this story because it's been, you know, we kept it under wraps, you know, because the mere fact that, uh, you know how people talk and Absolutely. they slander you. They say yeah. so much stuff. They'll create a whole different. Yeah, I'm looking at the pros in this whole story, but mm-hmm. they will take that and run with, run it. with it. So negative, yeah. it's and unbelievable. Make it look like it's something else, but and uh, even Pastor Ray tried to do what he could do. You know, uh, he knew about it. You um, know, to hear so many people stepping up for you, mm-hmm. I think that's something to be super proud of oh, from yeah. where you. Came from. Came from. Right. To be at the biggest stage, one of the biggest stage, which is the Super Bowl servicing, servicing over 16,000 people. Yeah. And the day of, you couldn't get in. I couldn't to still make it successful. Mm-hmm. That's, that's a testimony that uh, yeah. I love it, man. That's yeah. pure. Yeah. That's. Yeah. And, 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 and uh, 
And that was the most amazing part because we were still voted the number one vendor at Super Bowl XLI. We had uh, Devin Hester, our homeboy, my actually, actually our cousin. That's my that's my cousin who ran back the punts for I mean from Chicago. Rivera Beach, Beach, yeah, it was Rivera Beach home team. We was right in there, wow. and we represented at that at represented well, you know, right here, and we showed out. You know, from the barbecue to the football to to everything, man. And um, and that was a really deep moment for me. And uh, and uh, I had to get my arms around it. And I was determined not to quit. It was very hurtful. My mom, my dad was really hurt. But, you know. They were proud and hurt. It was proud and hurt at the same time. But, again... It it put the McCray name because then it showed me it really wasn't about me. It wasn't about me, Jeez. and I had and, and 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 that's what made me happy because it was about them. It was about my grandmother. When I became the sacrificial lamb, it wasn't about me, and. And I accepted that it was about them. It was about my forefather, the McCray legacy. It wasn't about you, Derek. It was about the McCray legacy. It's bigger than you. And that's where the humility came in and the understanding and the wisdom came in for it to be more powerful. You were prepared for this. Right. And 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 it became, and I was able to understand it and digest it, dissect it, and process it. And move forward with joy and understanding and build from it. Not, 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 not uh uh going backwards. Not going backwards, no. And build from it. That's what it was. So the sacrifice that I had to make wasn't for me. Cause Jesus said, take this bitter cup from me. But God said, no, you got to go through that. So in our own little way, if we are children of God, sometimes we have to make some sacrifices that are deep in our own realm, in our own life that's similar, but not as deep. But it's similar in a way for us to, for us to prosper and to move forward. So... I look at it as something that I probably had to do and it happened that way for me to be able to be where I'm at today. I mean, the preparation that you've been through in life for this stage to be turned away from one of the biggest deals and opportunities of your life. Mm -hmm. And for the scenario that they, that that shit's so crazy. Yeah. You talking about cocaine. Mm -hmm. Like, it's, you you can't write a better story, yeah. And for you to still the humility the you know that word I'm trying to use humility the humility that you had to like get like you you were prepared really man for this opportunity in so many ways from understanding how to put things in position let the machine run for you mm-hmm. to see your family still coming together to fight for you right after all those dark moments yes you're 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 the second person mm-hmm. next 
stepped up. Your brother stepped up. Demetrius, God bless his soul, mm-hmm. stepped up for you. Your father, Alcee Haste, like you, you talking about? Yeah, this Man. the same dude that was dope, that was on dope, sitting sleeping under the bridge right. and all these things yeah. that they stepped up for you. I mean, you're in, you now. You're 16 years in the Super Bowl. Yeah, 17, 17 years mm-hmm. of bringing your legacy into the Super Bowl, Matt. Boy, yeah. you talk, boy, you can talk your shit anytime you want around me because yeah. your story is so impactful, my brother. And it ain't even about the, you know, we could get into more about your business, your success that you have now, having your your facility, mm-hmm. which now you're in the process of opening up more. I want to actually bring, I want to actually have another conversation mm-hmm. later on about what you're about to do with, you know, your brand going into another capacity. But your testimony is so real, man. I think so many people go through hardship in business mm-hmm. and they give in in the process. Right. But the preparation, if they go back to their foundation of whatever it was, you know, from their grandmother to whatever, whoever instilled in them some type of principles and value and understand whatever it is, man. You are you. You the one, man. Yeah. You wow. the, you the real OG on that, man. And I think it just ta- it takes me to a whole different level of respect and empathy and you know thing for you where it's like I get it now. Mm-hmm. Like I never even knew. You know how I even heard a little bit about your hardship from your nephew. Mm-hmm. Um, he was like, you know, my uncle. Why are you interview my uncle yet? And I'm like. I'm not even, I know D, that's my peoples, but mm-hmm. I'm not even thinking about it because, you know, I got a hundred things I'm running through, but I really looked into it, but I always know you for, and even Wayne used to always say, man, you know, the work that you put in, you never, you're not going to give in. Like, mm-hmm. There's no such thing as giving up for you. And for me to witness that and hearing this story that you went through more hardship than I could even ever imagine. Yeah, it was, it's, it's, but you know what the Bible says the race ain't given to the swift or the strong. It's given to the man and endure the test. And see, that's been my motto is that I was put in a position where I squandered everything as the prodigal son. So I had to go back to spiritual principles in order for me to survive. So going to jail, as we go back during that time period, like 31 times in the streets and doing things, I couldn't go get a regular job. So I had to depend on God and myself and have some stick to to what I'm doing in order for me to do what? Survive. So I had to stay in the race. I didn't have a, a choice like some people might have a choice. I eliminated the choice that this is what I'm going to do and this is what I got to do. And with that, the family legacy, pleasing my dad, my mom, pleasing God first, that I had gave up my right to do what I wanted to do because I squandered it and I became the prodigal son that I had to come back around and do what the family needed in order for that to live on. That's what made sense to me with the things that I had to go through to get me to where I'm at now. For me to be okay with that, for me to understand, you know, to live life on life terms, to keep pushing, but I didn't want to push. There's a lot of days I didn't want to push, but then I understood where am I going to go because I squandered my stuff a long time ago. So I got to make this work. 
I don't have a choice. Some people might have a choice. But I put myself in a position a long time ago not to have that choice. But then God said I needed him. So I have to lean on him to do what he needs me to do with this. But me not being perfect or I'm a flawed candidate. I'm not perfect. I'm not all that. But again, my help comes from on high and my respect for my parents, my community, and, you know, people like yourself that's been here with me. You, we we, we start from, from the know, mud. From We're the mud. We've been in the mud together. I, you know, I've been here with you started. I didn't seen it. I know you know. Yeah. So, and I'm proud of you. So I have Thank to tell you. you, I've seen your growth and see how you've grown and you've done things and you've matured and a whole lot of good things. You know what I'm saying? So I understand this hustle. You know what I'm saying? And it's a different type of hustle. And see, and most people might not say this is a supernatural hustle, brother. It's deeper than just a regular hustle. What we do is a supernatural hustle. This testimony is real. This ain't no. Yeah, I mean, your your story, I can't, I don't know of any other similar. You know, because like I said, you went past the month. Like, you were in the bottom, bottom. Yeah. You talking about you were, your addiction had you sleeping under the park. Oh, yes, so now right. running yeah. a very yeah. successful barbecue friends. Yeah. Like, you're, like, you're literally, I don't know, man. Like, this gets this type of goosebump. Like, this is. This is this is impactful, man, and I and I believe, you know, I want to I want to I want to hear one last thing, um, which it kind of put everything together. What would you tell someone? What advice or what could you give someone that they could do that they could whatever it is? What is the secret of getting to where you are today? God. God and God that's it I mean and that's all I can say is God and I can't even say nothing else it's just like when he made me he when I came it was just he made me for a time such as this you know my parents everything was set up for me to be who I am you know it, I guess it just started as a kid me being the smallest guy on the football team me being the youngest kid on the football team Everybody was 12 and 11. I was eight and seven, starting running back with my dad, putting in some really precarious, precarious situations then. You, you feel me? So it started early. So the fight that God has given me, you know, the 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 uh being a warrior. You know, that warrior spirit, you know, but for good. You know, that's it. You know, that's all I can say is, it, you know, it's him. I just, you know, like I say, I'm not perfect. I'm not churchy. I'm spiritual, you know. You know, I just try to maintain that relationship and just just try to dig as deep as I can, man, to be successful and, and meet the adversities, you know. When they come, meet them head on, you know, and not run from it. But that's it, you know, like I say, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't never like to say that I have arrived. I haven't arrived. I've, I'm still trying to get there. I'm still every day grinding every day. You know, I still work 16 hour days as the CEO and president of McCray's Backyard Barbecue. 
You know, even as we work on the franchising piece, the sauce piece, the this piece, we working our way out of some other stuff, you know, to get to where we, we're going. We haven't arrived. And the blessing to me, Beethoven, is that God is always giving me something to keep working for, to keep living for, to keep living, something to keep living for, to stay in shape for, to stay healthy for. See, and that's the piece that I enjoy, you know, by not drinking and drugging. I got still got some pretty good, decent health. Now, if I was drinking and drugging, then I couldn't be around or, or be medically ill not to be able to do his job or what he has set up for us to keep going uh, to uh, uh, get the uh, uh, to get to the other uh, other other things that we're trying to do with the business, the growth, you know. You know what I'm saying? The franchising piece. I mean, we're going to probably have some more conversations about yeah, that. Yeah, we will, because I want to do another, I got another idea, that's what I want to talk to yeah, you about after. But, but, but that's it. So, you know, like I say, it, it's just him, man, and, and, and having the willingness to want to win. You know, the willingness to get up and hustle every day, man. Every day, is, every day we hustling, man. You know, and the blessing, too, I'm going to say this, because I know we probably about running out of time, but, man, I thank God that that he took me through what I went through because me going through those streets and those hard times, it taught me how to really hustle, bro. It taught me how to dig deep and go get it. It taught me, you know, listen, man, this ain't no cakewalk. You know, you got to dig deep and go get it. You know what I'm saying? It taught me both sides of the coin. It taught me how to how to... Etiquette in the crack house to the corporate boardroom. How to be a duo citizen, brother. You feel me? And that's a rare trait. To be able to understand both worlds. And I think that's why he allowed me to go to it through that, to be able to connect with everybody. 100%. Man, McCray, my brother. I appreciate you. I, I'm inspired. I I don't even know, man. This 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 feels this feels good, man. I I know this story is gonna impact so many people, man. You're you were you were true testimony testament, whatever the word is, of a, a true hustler, man. And literally from the under the mud, right? You you died a couple of times, man. Yeah, yeah. You know, for yeah. you to come back and to do what you're doing now, and is and is only getting better. Yeah. You know, I, I I'm inspired and you inspired me to do some a couple other things with this, man. So I appreciate you, my brother. Well, you know, I got mad love for you. I already know. Always. Thank always, you, man. man. You always been Thank a little bruh. And um I'm always here for you, you know, in any way we can help you and, and help out we here, man. That's Absolutely. what we do. We're a community servant, brother. We are. God bless. Good night.